Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 6, 2013. My name is Leah, and I am your moderator. This morning, A Vision for You welcomes Rosemarie. Rosemarie, a recovered compulsive overeater who resides in a suburb of Chicago, is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous. Here to share on OA Taught Her to Stay Stopped is Rose Marie. Good morning to you, Rose Marie. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, good morning, everyone who's listening out there. Uh, my name is Rose Marie. I am a compulsive overeater, also known as a food addict, uh, also a sweetaholic, a junk food junkie, junk food junkie, a very slow learner, and a child of God. And I'm so grateful to have been asked to do this this morning. Um, I've been asked to carry a message, and that's what this program uh, for me is all about, is recovering and carrying the message that there is hope, that there is recovery for all of us. And maybe after hearing my experiences through the 12 Steps, it might just give someone out there a little bit of hope. I came to my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous on September 19th of 1985. Some of you may not have been born then yet. Um, I came in um, at... um, I had been about 200 pounds, and I came in, I was dieting when I came in, and um, I've had approximately a 60-pound weight loss, and I've maintained that weight loss for about 26 years, and the uh, counting of my abstinence days by some miracle of my higher power, being God, uh, by some miracle of God, the day I walked into my first meeting, I became abstinent, and that means that as of today, and I don't count today because it isn't over till it's over, but I have 27 years, 3 months, and 17 days of abstinence from compulsive eating. And if this sounds miraculous to you, just know that it blows my mind. I still don't. I still don't understand it, but I don't have to. They say, you know, the God of our understanding. Well, I don't always understand God, but he always understands me. So I've been maintaining about a 60-pound weight loss for 26 years. Yeah, about 26 of those years it took a little bit to lose. And... um my my story, and by the way, I do only speak for Rosemary. I do not speak for OA as a whole. I wouldn't dare do that because I can't. My experience is my experience, and not not that of you know OA as a whole. For those of you who are listening, if you're anything like me when you first came in, or if you're new or you're struggling or you remember when you first came in, I came in helpless, hopeless, and clueless. 
And I want to tell you how clueless I was. <laughs> I looked at the 12 steps as I walked in the door, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, I, I, I've done some of that. I don't really have to come back here. I don't know these people. This is a basement of a church. I don't even go to this church. I don't know these people. And I looked those steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Yeah, I've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, now you know why. I address myself as a very slow learner and a real know-it-all. I did come back the following week, and that was only the grace of God because I did not plan it, and I have not missed coming back for 27 years, three months, and 17 days. Um, my, My story begins a long time ago, and no matter how generous this program is, to give me time this morning, there wouldn't be enough time to cover all the years. But I'll just tell you that I believe, and I think the big book says, doesn't matter when we got this disease, it is a disease, doesn't matter how, when, uh, it's just what's important is there's a solution, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the 12 steps, which are the solution. I came into the world at 11 pounds, So I always think I was overeating in my mother's womb. And then uh, up until about I went to school, first grade, I was a normal weight. When I got to school, my weight started to escalate. I I believe I had a problem dealing with people, with situations, people, places, and things. And that's why when I came in, they said step one is we're powerless over food. Our lives have become unmanageable. And I said, I'm not powerless over food. I just like cake a lot. You don't get it. And my life is just fine. Thank you very much. I had a big house. I had a big family of children to raise. And I had a nice husband. And my life was perfect. But I couldn't stop eating compulsively. I went to church. I prayed. But I couldn't stop eating compulsively. My eating continued on and off until the day I walked into my first meeting back in September of 85. I ate and dieted, as many of you will get, have done. And I ate and dieted successfully at both. I was a great eater and I was a great dieter. The problem was, the space between the diets was getting longer than the space between the eating. I guess that's the best way to explain it. And I actually, and I was a very good diet. I'd lose a lot of weight. And as soon as I lost it and looked in a mirror and someone said, you're looking good, I thought that was my signal. Go out and eat whatever you want again. And, of course, it just was a merry-go-round. Um, when I came in, I was almost 57. Now you're going to start doing the math. And to save you time, maybe I should save you time trying to figure I know when I listen to speakers, I try to figure out, well, they came in at this age. They've been in this long. Maybe they're this age. Well, I'll tell you, I came in at almost 57 years of age. I was not a kid. I thought I knew everything at that age, except I didn't know how to stop eating. 
I didn't know it had nothing to do with food. I didn't know food was a symptom of my illness. And I came in knowing everything, and I had to unlearn everything I had learned. That's what I did through the 12 steps, unlearn. It's not that I learned. I had to unlearn all the stuff that was upside down, backwards. But it was normal to me. I was in a state of the big D denial, and I thought everything was normal and fine, but I couldn't stop eating. The big book says, and my title of this talk, I was asked to give it a title, and after a few sessions of try, um, it was decided I would title it, OA Taught Me How to Stay Stopped. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, we all stopped. We all stopped at some period, whether it was five minutes or five months. We all stopped. The trick was to stay stopped. I couldn't stay stopped. I came to this program to learn how to stay stopped. Actually, I came to learn how to eat what I want and not gain the weight back. And by the grace of God, that's exactly what I've got. I eat what I want. I just don't want the junk that I used to want. And that's a miracle of my higher power. Not to want what I used to want. That never crossed my mind. So, back to, oh, just in case you're interested, Day after tomorrow, Tuesday, will be my 84th birthday. And But, but I have to say this because there's no Skype here. I don't look it. <laughs> That's what they tell me. Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I think why I want to tell you my age and how late I came to program, to give, to give hope to those who do come in late. When we come in young and we get it, that's wonderful. Some of us take longer. It takes what it takes to get well. Some of us, and and I've learned in a way that very sadly, some people are born, live their lives, and they die, and they never get it. They never get that they cannot manage their lives, that they're unmanageable. They don't get that there is something wrong that has to be changed, they live and die in that state of denial. The Overeaters Anonymous program has taught me how to get out of denial, how to stay out. Do I ever slip in momentarily? Oh, yeah. Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, said, by the grace of God, I won't take another drink, but my defects will always be with me. So it, this message is for the young, and it's for the not so young. It's never too late to get well, because the grace of God is plentiful. God is generous and merciful, and he'll meet me where I am, and it is never too late. Hopeless is not a word in my vocabulary anymore because I've seen miracles happen. The first one being that I haven't eaten for over 27 years. That, that again, is the first. 
But there was so much more, so much more. And I hope I can tell you a little bit about that. So, and for the, those who aren't so young, you might say, and I've heard it said, <clears throat> I've heard older people say, what's the use? I'm old anyway, I might as well eat what I want, and what's the difference? I'm going to die anyway. And what I believe is I want a quality of life. Quantity, that's up to my higher power, but I want a quality of life today. And I didn't have that before September of 85. I did not have that. By the way, I'm a slow learner, and... um, I heard the word sponsor mentioned when I came in, and I just ignored that totally because, hey, I'm losing weight. Why do I need a sponsor? I thought it was all about the weight. I thought it was all about the food. I had to find out it's all about my defects of character and how I want to control everything and everybody, which I tried to do for 56 years. And when they didn't go, things didn't go my way, it upset me a little bit or a lot. It upset me because Rosemarie had to have her way. I had my way many times, and it caused me a lot of grief and a lot of pain. So my life was unmanageable. I just didn't see it. I think denial, oh, yeah, they gave me an acronym for denial, don't even notice I am lying. <laughs> That's for sure. And then when I came in, they said um, that second step came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. I believe in God. I've always believed in God. I go to church. I pray. I. That's an easy one. Not so much came to believe, came to believe. I believe there was a God. There is God, the God of my understanding. But I never, ever in this lifetime believed that God could do for me what I could never do for myself. That's what I had to come to to believe. That power is so great. They said, doesn't matter who your higher power is, just so that power is greater than you. You know, in the old story, yes, Rosemary, there is a God. No, Rosemary, you're not him. And, of course, I was offended by that until I was working the program for a while. And what OA taught me was, yeah, I played God often when I demanded, when I used people as chess pawns and took hostages. Yeah. Yeah, I played God, but I didn't see it. You know, (laughs) they say, if I want to see my problem, I just have to look in the mirror, and there it is. OA taught me I needed to change. And now, change, I've heard, is very difficult. But as a longtime member of OA and a grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous, change isn't difficult. My resistance to change is what's difficult. When I resist, when I don't surrender, and that brought me to step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Made a decision. 
I thought that, well, I made a lot of decisions in my life, but what I found out is they really weren't decisions because decisions are followed by action, which in this case are the rest of the steps. That's the decision that I'm going to work the rest of the steps. My decisions were more like those New Year's resolutions, and resolutions are never followed by action. At least they weren't for me. (laughs) Remember, this is my story If you can relate to any of it, and I hope you can, because I learned that in relating, there's healing. So I'm really, I really um, prayed a lot that I would say something this morning that might just help someone feel a little less hopeless. Someone said, I may be powerless, but I'm not helpless. And I learned that through the steps because I needed to take action. And I didn't know that uh, these next steps were going to be a lot of action. And I I had a lot of fear about doing my fourth step, which is my moral inventory. Fear. And it says made us searching and fearless. I wasn't fearless. I had to pray a lot. I finally got a sponsor. By the way, um, sponsors are a shortcut word for help as far as I'm concerned. They've traveled the road before me. I need a sponsor. Someone will say, well, Rosemary, you're a long timer. Don't tell me you still have a sponsor. Oh, yeah, because I have to be accountable to another human being besides God. I have to be accountable. And in my known state of past denial and sometimes now even, I can deny and rationalize and do all that, justify and do all that kind of stuff. So I need a sponsor to be accountable to and to share her experience with me so that I can get. And uh, maybe this is a good time to mention this. Excuse me. In my home group, Burbank, Illinois, we have every Tuesday night at 6.30, we have a newcomer session. And what we do there, it's huge, it's big, and we tell newcomers about the program, specifically the first three steps. And one of the things that we highly recommend and suggest is they get a sponsor before they leave the room that night. Um, I always share my personal experience. I say, don't, you know, don't do what I do, or I wouldn't suggest or recommend what I did. I waited eight months before I got a sponsor. Basically, I thought, again, I can do this. Uh, sponsors, just superfluous, extra material, don't need to go there. I learned that until I got the sponsor, my head was going back to the food. Not that I ate it, that I planned when to eat it. Again, like I did previously, soon as the weight, soon as my body looks good and I feel not huffing and puffing anymore, I'm going back and have my little treats. I'm going to go to my favorite little shop. I had that thought for eight months in the program. And I might as well say this now because I, I, if you know me, you know I say it as I think it and I don't have a script. I've never once in 27 plus years ever thought of leaving Overeaters Anonymous. Never. Because if life is this hard with the program, with recovery, I don't want to know what it is without it. 
And also, I've been around long enough to see what happens to people who don't go to meetings, who don't work the steps. They're not around to hear what happens to people who don't go to meetings and don't work the steps. I don't ever want to leave. For today, and this is a for today, they told me stay in the day, stay in the now, stay in the moment. That's what I'm doing. So in making my searching and fearless moral inventory, I had to dig up a lot of defects, and they did come up. And I had to pray that God show them to me, and he did. And I found out those were what were keeping me from staying stopped my character defects. Now, I learned, away taught me. We were born with great instincts. I was born with the best instincts, instincts for survival, how to take care of myself. But somewhere along the way, I distorted those instincts by my demand for more of everything. Nothing was never, ever enough for Rosemary. She needed more Food, more people, more love, more attention, more more breath, more everything. What OA has taught me, there's a power greater than myself that supplies everything I'll ever need. All I have to do is surrender my will and to stay close to God, to stay close. And I do that through these steps. And in step five, I had to admit to God, like he didn't know, but I had to admit admit to God, to ourselves and another human being. So I had to admit to myself, I had these defects. I didn't see them. You know, I used to see all the things that I had to bear from other people, but never did I see what they had to bear from me. I had such a distorted view. I had, as the big book somewhere, one of the stories says, I had my glasses on backwards. I didn't see what was right in front of my face. And when I saw it, it was distorted. So in that admission, in that admitting in the fifth step of my defects, that's when I had to go into become entirely ready to have God remove these defects. (laughs) What in the world is entirely ready? I had no clue. I had to pray. I had to read the big book and the the 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous. And entirely ready? For me, it was surrender my will to not do what I used to do so I could get what I never got. And so I had to pray to have God remove all these defects of character because somewhere in my distortion, distortion, in my distorted thinking, I thought I could do, I could remove my own defects. I could control people, places, and they. I needed 12 steps written in order, worked in order, tried and true by lots of people, proved to work. In every situation, rarely have we seen a person fail. You know, when Bill Wilson wrote that, he wanted to write, never have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path, but they wouldn't let him. So rarely have we seen a person fail. I just had to follow the steps. That's my path. That's my journey. 
So I had to be ready to have God remove them. That meant, okay, God, I abandon myself. I surrender. I can't do it. I can't get rid of these defects on my own. And I, by the way, I've never known anybody who can. If you meet them, would you please let me know how they did it? Because I don't know. And then step seven said, they said, well, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Bill Wilson originally wrote, on our knees, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. I am on my knees. I'm blessed. I do have rheumatoid arthritis, but normally does not keep me down. And I do get on my knees because it's a humble posture. And I get on my knees morning and night and often in between. And I did plenty of on my knees since I heard I was doing this broadcast. So humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Humbly humble myself. I pray every day for humility because without humility, I will lose not just my abstinence. I'll lose my positive thinking. I'll lose my good relationships. I'll lose everything. I'll lose everything without humility. I'll only see my distorted point of view, and I'll never see yours. I'll never see your point of view. What I learned in OA has taught me to look for the good in others. I always say I look for God in everyone I meet. There's a little poem, you know. Uh, I see God in you, and I beg, I hope that you see God in me. But I look, I look for God in everyone I meet. I look for that lovableness, that beauty in them. And when I look, I always find it. I always do, which has made relationships better for me. And I just want to add right here, talk about relationships. Um, I learned that until I could love, understand, and accept myself, I could never love, understand, or accept anyone else, not even God. And I could never have a good relationship with anyone else until I had one with me. And the scariest part was when I learned I couldn't have a good relationship with my higher power because how could I if I kept thinking that that's who I was? So humility every day. I pray for it every single day. I have a little, I tell you everything. I have a little uh, plaque. It's a little picture. In fact, one of my sponsees gave me for Christmas. She had it printed up and enlarged, and it was sitting on Dr. Bob's uh, desk in his office. And it talks about, the title is Humility, and how humility is to never be troubled or fretted. And when everything's going crazy around me, to go inside, inside that place where my higher power resides, and that I'll be okay while everybody else is going crazy. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it says, basically. And I love it. And then step eight, they said to make a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. I'm not making amends. I'm just making a list. And I made the list... And I became willing, but it was scary because some of them were going to be difficult. And um, But I put them on the list anyway, 
And I knew that if I didn't take all the actions of these steps, I would go back to food. And again, I wouldn't just take back the first bite. Uh Uh-uh. I would take back everything negative that I had had in my life up until September of 85. And I didn't want to go back there. So I pushed forward with the steps. I became willing. And then I made direct amends wherever possible, except when they'd injure someone, myself, them, or others, except when I'd be injured or someone else would be. And I just wanted to inject here an experience. My husband's sister was someone on my list that I needed to make amends to. And I think I kept putting it off, you know. Families are hard to deal with. But it came to me, I was at her home one day. We were visiting him. I was ready to get in the car, and I turned around, and God said, go make that amends. And I did. And she put her arms around me, and she made amends to me back. And we made it, that was Wednesday. We made a date for Saturday, and on Friday night she had a heart attack, and she died. So I don't believe in taking too much time to, to make amends. I think amends are important to do. For me, to get them done. I'm, by the way, I am a person who likes to do the hard stuff first. You know, you hear people say they put off. I I feel uncomfortable putting off difficult actions because I hate to have to keep thinking about it and looking forward to how horrible it's going to be and then thinking about it. And it's just, So I like to do the hard things first and then do the easy stuff. That just works for me, works very well for me. And so those actions from four to nine, they are cleaning up my act, so to speak. Someone told me that the steps are, um, let's see, trust God, clean house, help others. Those are the 12 steps. Trust God, clean house, help others. And that house cleaning from four to nine, it's really what it is there there's the big cleaning out of rosemary and then step 10 11 and 12 they said those were they could call them living steps or everyday steps and these are things that i do on a daily basis oh by the way i wanted to tell you um people always ask about food and um, i always laugh because they ask what i eat and of course that makes nothing no difference everybody has a different food plan But I'll tell you what I do. Um, I'm a basically dishonest person. You know, it says in how how it works in the beginning, it says rigorous honesty or our chances are less than average if I'm not rigorously honest. So I found, honestly, I don't know four ounces of food, two ounces of food, not after 27 years. I have a little scale on my counter. I have a small travel scale. I have another scale on the in the cabinet in case my scale loses its power. I have another one. I weigh my food. 27 years, 3 months, and 17 days, I weigh my food. Why? It's part of my surrender process. It's part of humility. It says, I'm not the be-all and end-all. I don't know everything. I don't know what three ounces is. I don't know what four ounces. And I still do not. I use a scale. 
And this is the honesty part. Part of the honesty part is when I'm in my little kitchen and I'm weighing my food, that's when I need to practice integrity the most because no one's there except God and I. And if I'm not honest with God and myself, I can't be honest with you or anybody. So I do I do take care of myself with my food. I do that. And I know that the food is no longer an issue. Did I tell you that the desire to take that first bite has not happened? I haven't had it. I I think I want to take Remember when I told you when before I got the sponsor, I was planning my binge? Well, once I got the sponsor, an amazing thing happened. We started working the steps. I realized one day, and it was maybe a year, that I no longer had the desire to go out and binge. I no longer wanted the foods I used to want. And I am a sweetaholic, so you can just guess what that foods those foods would be. I didn't want them anymore. That, to me, it just blew my mind because I didn't even realize it till one day I just didn't want it. And when my friend, I had a little friend, she would invite me and have coffee and she would bake and she'd put it all on the table. When I first came into the program, I'd go visit her and I'd say, no, thank you, I don't eat that anymore. And in my head I thought, yeah, you don't eat it anymore now. But how long till you go back to it again? This was before I had a sponsor, by the way. And that was my thinking, you're going back. I had the picture of what I was going to eat. You're going back. And so every time I visited her, she kept doing the same thing, putting on the cake and coffee. And I kept saying, I don't eat that anymore. And after I got the sponsor and we worked the steps together and we read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I realized one day, The desire was gone, and it has never returned. Miracle stuff happens here, and I can't explain it. I just share my experience. I love Step 11, and probably I wanted to save a little extra time for Step 11. I am watching the clock. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. As we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's a mouthful. That's a big step. First, prayer and meditation part, okay? I do that. i tell you why I do that. Because I'm trying to be grateful to God. I'm trying to incorporate God into every breath, every minute, every day, because God has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I owe him. I owe him the honor and the glory. And that's why I'm here today doing this, to let you know who's responsible for this 27-plus years. And it isn't Rosemarie. Rosemarie couldn't do it for almost 57 years. And Rosemarie tried every trick in the book, every trick. But I didn't know the trick to staying stopped. And here's where you're going to get the trick. Are you ready? How to stay stopped? The trick, my relationship with God, my higher power, and the working of the steps to keep that relationship strong. In the big book, one of the stories, or no, in the first part of the book, it talks about this man 
was sober for a little while, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, and he got drunk again. And that's what I did for almost 57 years. I kept getting drunk on food again and again because I failed to enlarge my spiritual life, but I didn't know it. I would have told you I had the best spiritual life in the world, but I didn't. So, and I learned a lot in the chapter, We Agnostics, about my prayer life. I had a lot of quantity, but not quality, not so much, not so much. Prayer and meditation every day. Morning and night, 30 minutes of meditation in the morning, 30 minutes at night. Now, did I, do, did I ever fight this for five years at least, having this particular quiet meditation perfectly still? Fought it like any compulsive eater in their disease would fight it. But I have a higher power who is greater than me, and my self-will. By the way, did I tell you that self-will will never overcome self-will? I've tried that too many times. I needed a higher power. So I meditate, I pray, all kinds of prayers, all kinds, on my knees, not on my knees. I um, do. I have a chapel that I love to go to to pray, I'm seeking to improve my conscious contact with God as I understand him. And prayer and meditation is a great way to improve it. Also, carrying this message is another great way to improve it. By the way, I love doing this, carrying this message, because maybe no one listening will be helped. I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know that. But I know that I'll be helped because I'm reaffirming, I'm strengthening my own program when I do this service. And by the way, service for me is gratitude in action. I can tell you I'm grateful to God for all the blessings he's given me, but if I don't put it into action, I'm not showing that gratitude. I'm not implementing it. Mm -mm. And I want to be a manifestation of God. I don't want to be God anymore. But I want you to see God through me. I want you to hear God through me. I want to be God's instrument. So I have to get fine-tuned every day so he can use me as that instrument, that channel. And through prayer and meditation is how I fine-tune. And I believe that staying connected to other people for me is as important as anything I can think of because when I stay connected to people, I stay connected to God. And it says praying only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. That's the last part of it. What do I pray for? Well, I'll tell you how I used to pray, probably much like maybe you used to pray. I don't know how you used to pray, but if you're a compulsive eater of my type, this is how I prayed. I prayed, give me, give me, give me, let me, let me. Do this, do that. And when I realized after 27 years of education, you might say, and grace, and the grace was always there, by the way. It's there for all of us. I just turned my back on it. But it's there. It's there for everybody. We just need to grab it. That's what I learned. I didn't grab it. I didn't cooperate with it. I didn't do anything. 
So today, how do I pray? Mostly, thank you, God, for taking care of all your children. That's a big prayer for me. Thank you, God, for taking care of all your children. And a big prayer is, Lord, please let me be a blessing to someone today. Lord, let me be a blessing to someone today. My prayer this morning, my OA friends out there, my prayer was, let me put my pride aside and God let me speak your word as you want it heard. So if you hear something today, I hope you hear it. I hope you hear it as though you heard it from God through his instrument. Prayer and meditation. What I learned before we leave this step, but what I learned about prayer and meditation and about a relationship with my higher power, that's the key. That's the trick. It's a trick on how to stay stopped, how to stay stopped from the food and all the negativity in my life and all the bad relationships and all the addictions. By the way, I found out that I was. it only took me 12 years in OA to find out I was a compulsive gambler. They told me, oh, if we have one compulsion, we probably have more. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> See, I'm a know-it-all. It's hard. It's hard for us know-it-alls to learn anything. But by the grace of God only, I am learning. So I pray for knowledge of his will. God, what's your will? Show me your will, and then give me the grace, the power to carry that out. That grace is a free gift from God. Unmerited. Grace is unmerited gift. Unmerited. Not warranted. Not earned. I didn't earn grace. It's a gift from God, from my higher power. It was always there. I didn't always access it. I didn't know how. I am such a compulsive, low-gutter, compulsive eater. I needed the steps. I needed the number. I needed to recover by numbers. (laughs) You know, I used to paint by numbers when I was a kid. Now I had to learn how to recover by numbers, 12 of them, and, of course, the 12 traditions and the 12 concepts. But I had to learn how to recover. I was almost 57 years old. I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to get my needs met. What were my needs? Who knew? I didn't know. I knew very little. The big says the book big book says though we know little now, but more will be revealed, and that's what I find in reading the book and in working with others. And I do sponsor a lot of people because that's how. But the big book tells me in working with others, chapter seven, nothing will ensure my sobriety is working with other people. When everything else fails, if I work with other compulsive eaters. I've got my sobriety insured, hey, and I love working with others, and I love newcomers, and I love relapsers, and I love compulsive eaters who have been abstaining for years. You get, I kind of love everybody. I don't think I did before program. I'm pretty sure I didn't. So my prayer is, show me your will, and then thank you. Uh, give me the grace to carry that out. That's all the prayer is. Thank you. Mostly thank you. A lot of thank yous. A lot of thank yous. And to show that thank you, to show that gratitude, 
I try to be of maximum service whenever I can. Okay, so that's step 11. Did you notice that? That was kind of one of my, well, because it got me connected. They all did. They all worked toward getting me connected to a higher power because that's the only way I can recover is by a relationship with a power greater than myself. There is no way to recover, not for this compulsive eater, no way but through the grace of God and my relationship with that God on a daily basis, working on it to make it stronger, to make it stronger. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, tried to carry this message to compulsive readers to practice these principles in all our affairs. This says I had a spiritual awakening by working the steps. I woke up spiritually. Do you know for a long time I didn't see the word spiritual in 12-step spiritual program of recovery? It said Overeaters Anonymous is a 12-step spiritual program of recovery. It took me years to see the word spiritual. My sickness, my malady, the big book says malady, illness, and I believe I have this illness. My malady, my sickness was in my spirit. I thought it was in my stomach, in my belly. I needed to eat to fill my stomach. I needed my spirit filled. My stomach was fine with ordinary meals during the day, but I felt a lack. And that was a lack of God, a lack of myself. It was a lack of everything. I wasn't spiritually awake. The steps have woken me up spiritually. As the result of these steps, I had a spiritual awakening. And if I have a spiritual malady, there's only one there's only one recovery, and that's a spiritual one. Yes, emotional and physical, I get that too. But you know what I found out? I found out that I have defects. Okay, remember back in steps four, and then I had to admit them in step five. Well, those defects, I was living a life like putting a Band-Aid on my defects until I got here. And then I found I needed some surgery to get rid of the defects, and I needed the divine physician to cut out those defects. And that's, for me, that's God. That's my higher power. The divine physician is cutting out these defects of character. But I have to ask them, and I have to want them to cut them out. And part of it was letting go of control. Oh, my goodness. When they said we were all controlling, I said, not me. I'm just helping everybody out, whether they want it or not. And I learned, I learned about business. What I learned about business is I had to mind my own. Now, I had a problem with what was my business, what was your business, what was God's business, what was none of my business. What OA has taught me? Most things are none of my business. Some days I have to call my sponsor and say, hey, sponsor, is this my business? And then I tell her something and she'll say, did you pray about it? (laughs) I'll say, well, you know, step 10, um, continue to, 
you know what? I think I skipped step 10. Did I tell you about taking personal inventory? I did. I skipped it. When we were wrong, promptly admitted. I'm so sorry because that's an everyday thing too. I have to keep looking. Are those defects cropping up again? Okay. What do I do? I immediately ask God to remove it. It's in the big book, page um, 80-something. It's in there, how to do step 10. I ask God to remove it. I talk it over with someone, and then I make amends if I need to. And then I look to help someone. I look to help someone, whether I've wronged them or not. Maybe just be a nice person sometimes. That's what I have to do. So, yeah, so I had trouble knowing whose business I was getting into. Is it really mine? This is weird. I found so much of my life is none of my business. In my life, none of my business. That was a real eye-opener. Because I don't know if this is true, but people I talk with in program, and I've talked to a lot over the years, they all seem to have had a similar problem with not minding their own business. I wonder if that's a prerequisite to be a compulsive eater. I wonder if that's a prerequisite on how to work the program. So back to 12 with spiritual awakening, which I had as a result, direct result of these steps. I got the spiritual awakening. And then I tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters, but you know what? To everybody. Not to not force the program down their throat, and believe me, I've done that in my day. Uh, not so much today, but I won't say I'm totally innocent today, but pretty much it's gone. But in the beginning, I was practically putting a big book in everybody's bookshelf. Anyway, what did they want? They never asked for it. Of course not. Uh, but I found that the best way for me to carry the message is to work the program, stay connected to my higher power, and to let everyone else see what God has done for me. That's the message. What my higher power did for me that I couldn't do for myself, there's recovery. That's the message, that there's a solution to this disease problem, this addiction. And did I tell you I am an addict? That's my other title, Compulsible Reader, Food Addict. And by the way, oh, thank you, God, for this inspiration. ABC, this program is for, uh, is for anorexics, bulimics, and compulsive overeaters. For every one of us, ABC, it works. It works because the philosophy of the 12 steps works for everybody. And I can be, a, I can be an anorexic. In fact, I think I was for a short time when I lost my weight. I wanted to keep losing weight. I didn't want to stop losing weight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's part of the rainbow of the whole illness, anorexia, bulimia, compulsive eating. I think it's all part of that. It's all trying to control my own life, and, of course, I never could. I just never could. So I tried to carry this message, that's the 12th step, to everyone and to practice these principles in all our affairs. There's a tough one. Every day, whether I'm in the supermarket checkout line, whether I'm with my family, whether I be in the office with coworkers, or practice the principles. What are those principles? Courage, humility, faith. Okay, all those good, positive things. Carry them out in my daily life. That's what it means to me. And I keep doing a little spot check inventory during the day. 
am I following the steps or am I following Rosemary's will? Because my will wants to surface. Did I tell you when my self-will, I think when it's going to die? About 20 minutes after I'm buried. I think that's when my self-will might and maybe not even then. So I have to practice these principles to, I think practicing the principles carries the message big time. For me, it does. And then it says, what an order. I can't go through with it. Don't be discouraged. I'm here to tell you, my friends, don't be discouraged. If there was help here for me, and there was, and you heard what has happened to me. And I was going to mention to you, if you have a big book, I love, in the fourth edition, of course, it's page 417, it's 449 in the third edition, the acceptance paragraph, which explains and helps me so much, and I needed it so badly because acceptance was really hard for me, that I read it so often that, and wrote on it so often that I finally memorized it. And it is the answer to all my problems. And when I'm disturbed, it's because something inside of me is unacceptable to me. It's usually me that's unacceptable to me. And I can't find serenity until I have acceptance of whatever it is because nothing happens in God's world by mistake. I had to accept my overeating as a disease or I couldn't stay abstinent. And I have to live on life's terms. Speaking of life's terms, I have not picked up a bite in 27 years, three months, and 17 days. And I want to tell you that just a couple of things among the myriad of things, many things that have happened in 27 years, that I have not had to pick up that bite. Probably one of the biggest is seven, almost seven years ago, the love of my life died. And two days after, I went to a retreat. I got my TLC, I got my strength, and I worked the steps, and I didn't have to pick up the bite. My youngest child was institutionalized for mental illness. I didn't have to take the bite. Did I cry a lot? In all these situations, you bet I did. Lots of situations. Friends died. Very damaging illness. Life-threatening. All the things that might cause me to go back to food. I went back to God. You know, I got a choice every day. Go back to the food or go to God. That's the only choice I have every day. And I believe the most spiritual thing I do is abstain from compulsive eating because without that, I would take back all the negativity so there'd be no spirituality. There'd be no prayer and meditation. There'd be nothing. There'd be nothing. I'd like to close with the last paragraph in, on page 164 of the big book. It just came to me this morning. I was going through the book. And I'd like to just share it with you because it's kind of how I feel and what I'd like to say to you. So I'll just use the book to say it. And I want to thank um, thank Leah for asking me to do this. What a privilege and an honor and what an opportunity to for me to improve my recovery, to enlarge my spiritual life, and maybe to give someone hope out there. 
Because if there's hope for this long-time compulsive, self-willed, know-it-all, slow learner, there's help. There's help for everyone. There's recovery for everyone. And the big book says to abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of the past. Step four. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. That's where my sickness is, and that's where my recovery is, in the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, and I hope we do, you and I, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you so much. Rosemary, thank you so much. You and your higher power did just such a beautiful job this morning carrying the message and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. You have certainly been a blessing for this meeting this morning. Thank you very much. We now open the line for any questions you might have for Rosemary. You can direct your question to her. Press star 1 to unmute, please. Hi, this is Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. Go ahead. Hi, Carolyn. That was so, so beautiful. I really need your phone number because I just can't even begin to share feeling right at this very moment. Carolyn, thank you, and we're gonna we're gonna take care of that matter after the recording. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else with a question for Rosemary this morning? Hi, this is Margaret in Illinois. Yeah, I have a question. Go ahead, Margaret. My name's Yael. It, hey. Margaret first and then Yael, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Rosemary. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I'm going to call this my what I was grateful for this morning because I was not able to actually be on the Attitude of Gratitude meeting. But thank you so, so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And um, I appreciate it more than you can know. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah, hi, this is Yael. Can I ask a question? Yes, go ahead, Yael. Hello. Okay, thank yes. you. Yeah, hi. Um, first of all, I wanted to thank you for your share. It uh, is definitely giving hope. And my question is, um, when you first decided you were going to, you know, uh, give give the program a try, um, and you said, let's say, for example, that you would go to your friend's house and she would serve things, and at first you'd say, I don't eat that, but eventually you didn't want it. And um, my question is, I guess, when you first started your journey within program, was it like gradual in terms of you putting down things that you didn't want to eat? But like in the beginning, yes, you did, and then it got less and got less and got less, or it was like a 
black and white, all of, you know, like I'm not going to, and somehow you had the willingness inside of you to, you know, to, to just cut it off. And by doing the steps, that gave you the courage to do it. Okay. Uh, I didn't catch your name, hon. It's Yael. I can't hear I know it's a hard one. It's okay. Cut off. Okay. I think what you're asking, let me get clear, is did I give up all the binge foods right away or did I do it a little at a time? Is that basically it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I knew what the binge foods were because I had them for 56 years. Uh, It was none of it. Uh, I gave up. I didn't give up. I was relieved, really relieved from them, of them. I did not uh, even, I didn't even eat, I'm trying to think, I didn't even eat lookalikes. You know what lookalikes are? They look like no. the real thing, but they are, they're sugar-free or they're, they're free of this or that. I didn't even, I learned not even to do that because that would still lead me back to the food because I'm a I'm an addict and I don't know the difference between artificial and real stuff, so I would just but yeah, it was all at once. For me, I can't wean. That's called weaning away. If I wean, I suffer. It's like it's like the withdrawal is dragged on forever. It it be yeah, because it just if I give it stop it immediately, I'm not putting it in my body, so my body's not craving it. But if I were to do a little at a time, and I can give you an example. A few, about six years ago, I changed the food plan, and it called for no, um, dairy, no milk, no cow's milk, okay? So I had been drinking skim milk uh, with my meals and with my healthy snacks because I'm a hypoglycemic, so I eat, you know, often during the day. And so I, I gave up everything off that list that they said not to do, but I had the skim milk, and I thought, well, I'll just wean off of it. And it took about two or three days. Do you know that I suffered from that? Because I kept, the minute I put it in my body, I wanted more. On the third day, right. I threw out, I threw it in the sink, what was left down the drain, and I never even thought about it after that. So it's proved to me if I feed something into my body, it's going to, I'm an addict. It's going to say more. But if I let it go, I might suffer a withdrawal for a brief period. But my opinion, the withdrawal beats the disease anytime. Did I answer your question, hon? Yeah, you did. But I have, like, if I can, just an additional, was it, uh, was the fact that you were working the steps, was that what helped you just stop? Absolutely. Like, and having the sponsor, I don't know if you heard me say in the talk, when I yes, got the sponsor, yes. the food thoughts left me. Uh-huh. Because we worked the steps. Did I, I think yes. I answered, yeah, that was, that was what you wanted to know, like when yes. they left when I worked the steps with the sponsor. That's why I'm a big sponsor thumper. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you, Yael, and... Thank you, Rosemary, for the response. Any other questions this morning? Star one to unmute. 
Hi, this is Rebecca from Connecticut. Yes, good morning, Rebecca. If you could just speak up a little bit. Thank you. Okay. Um, let me see if I can switch my phone. Can you hear me, Leah? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Rosemary, thank you so much. Um, I wanted to ask specifically, you mentioned that you realized later on that you were a uh, compulsive gambler. And I was wondering, once you realized you had another addiction, did you have to start all over and do the 12 steps and apply them to that addiction? Thank you, Rebecca, for that question. No, I don't remember. This was a long time ago, but I don't remember doing that. What I did do was keep working the steps like I had been, and I realized I could never go near a gambling casino, and I didn't. But it happened that... Um, my brother died, and he lived in Tucson, and I had to meet my daughter to go to the funeral, and we met in Las Vegas and took a plane to Tucson. So we stayed overnight in Las Vegas, and I had to walk through a casino to get to my room, and I experienced the high, but at no time did I want to gamble. It had been removed because I stayed connected, I believe, with God the whole while. Now, I think the question you're asking may be, is it that do we have to work the steps differently for different addictions? Maybe that's what, would that kind of be your question? Well, Rosemary, um, I meet people who are interested in sponsorship in OA, and they are multi-addicted, and I've been wondering if they can... um, work the program once through and apply it to all their addictions or if they have to do them one at a time? Okay, that's a great question, and I'm here to tell you that this know-it-all does not have the perfect answer to that. I can just share my own experience. Um, Usually, we need to be in a program that addresses, I would This is only an opinion now. The big book doesn't say this. So really, I don't think I want to address this. I can just share my experience with the gambling. I stopped. I lost the desire to gamble, and and I did not have to address steps in another program for that. So I can't answer your question. There would have to be someone much smarter than me and maybe more have that experience. That hasn't been my real experience. I just gave you my experience, okay? Yes, thank you. That's really all I was asking for, Rosemary, and I do appreciate your um, insight into how it worked for you. Thank you, Rebecca. (laughs) Yes, thank you, Rebecca. (laughs) Thank you, Rosemary. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. If it's on your mind, it's probably on the mind of others as well. Star one. Hi, my name is Carol, and I have a question. Hi, Carol. Hi, thank you, Rosemary. It was inspirational, and you have given me great hope. Um, my question is, I have been in relapse on and off for about for about two years, and I know the joy of and the peace and serenity that this program can offer. And, you know, I turn my will over to my God, and I give it to him, and then I take it back. And it's like I just can't get there, and I want to. And then I start beating myself up for taking it back. 
and my prayer has been very similar to your prayer, but I I just keep slipping and relapsing, and I can't stay stopped. And I don't know if you can address that because obviously you've not been in relapse, but maybe you could relate. Oh, Carol, I was in a 56-year relapse <laughs> before I got to program. Plenty of relapses when I thought I was sailing along. I do know the pain of relapse, Carol. I really do because what I suffered before program was uh, not not so good, not so good. Um, I think I'm going to go to the big book for this because I want to give you the answers that are real and that work, and they have worked for me, is um, remember the guy in the big book who drank after being sober for some time, he got drunk because... He failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Okay. Yeah. I, think, I think enlarging the spiritual life, that might be confusing to some people. Like like me, I thought earlier on, well, that means you have to pray night and day on your knees on a mountain or in a church or whatever. Then you're enlarging your spiritual life. Well, yeah, you are when you do that. But that isn't the whole package. What the big book says, working with others, Isolation, battle, you know what isolation is? It's a place. It's a place I go to prepare for my next binge. So I need to reach out, make a lot of calls, go talk to a lot of sober people. I can talk to relapsed people, yeah, but my experience is, because I've talked to a lot of relapsed people, They just if they just talk to other relapsers, where's the hope? They have to talk to, I believe, long-timers who've had recovery. God speaks through other people. We enlarge our spiritual life, I believe, through other people. And the most spiritual thing I do, as I said, I believe I said it in my talk, is I don't eat compulsively. That's God's will. My will 27 years ago would have been eat what I want. That was my will. Now it has become God's will to eat healthy, to eat, and I eat what I like, but I like differently than I liked before program. So, but that was a gift I got from turning my life and will over to the care of God. I think turning life and will over is that third step is big because it means work the rest of the steps and be rigorously honest. And the big book is clear, Carol. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. I think being rigorously as honest as we can be, because sometimes I didn't know I was being dishonest, being as honest as we can be, having a sponsor who's got what you want, who's abstinent and working the steps and is abstaining, and work with that. This is what I did. I worked with her, and I followed every direction because I was sick and tired of going back to the food before a program, and I thought what she tells me if she says jump in the lake without a swimsuit, I'm going to do it. Whatever she said, and I did. I did all the assignments she gave me. It worked. It worked. But I think we need to go to God directly. That's what the big book, prayer and meditation. But also through other people. God does speak to me through other people. And isolation is the big enemy of this of this disease. And the biggest enemy is um, ignorance of the disease. I think we can be in a long time and think we understand it, 
I don't think so. The disease is a killer, and I've been to funerals. And I didn't put this on the recording, unfortunately. I've been to funerals of people who didn't take it. They didn't believe it was a disease. They thought they just had a food problem. Food is just that symptom. It's not the problem. We've got to be straight with God. We've got to get clean. We've got to get a spiritual, clean spiritual life. I thought I had it when I walked in. Uh, not so much. No, no. Uh, maybe reading, uh, I don't know, reading We Agnostics, finding a sponsor who has what you want, and then following direction. And if it's hard to follow direction, hey, I had to pray for willingness, and I do that even today in many other areas. I think praying for willingness, son, that's, that's a biggie, praying for the willingness to follow direction of those who came before you that have you managed to work through through the steps. I don't know if that's helped you or not. Very much. Thank you. Thank you for the question and Rosemary for the response. Anyone else? Maggie. Maggie, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you so much. Um, I noticed you chose the word you were a sweetaholic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you used sugar substitutes in your years of abstinence and uh, your opinion on those? And have you worked with other people who've used those? Okay. Thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you. I, I don't use sugar substitutes, and I'll tell you why because I was got addicted to those. It was about the first 10 years in program. Uh, I, had, I had a nutritionist, and she said it was okay to use this particular sweetener because it was natural, you know, natural. That word appeals to addicts because it's natural. We think it's not going to hurt us. And I used this natural sweetener, but I found I was putting it on everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And I found that I had the same habits as a a cocaine addict or an alcoholic addict. I had a bottle of this in my cabinet, a bottle in my purse, a bottle in my car, a bottle at my daughter's house, a bottle here, a bottle. I wanted to never run out. See, that was a big red flag, but I didn't see it right away. And one day, I guess I was open to seeing it. I don't know if anyone said anything to me, or I can't remember. It's a long time ago, and I, it all went out. I don't use artificial sweeteners. I don't use substitute sweeteners. And if you'd have told me that I would drink tea without sweetener, I would have told you, not this gal, mm-mm, but I do, but I do. There is no artificial sweeteners in my life because for me, they are what I would call pathway foods. The pathway, they lead to the real thing eventually. They're, they're the, they, they look like they're real, they taste like they're real, and my addiction, I can only speak for Rosemary, my addiction, my body, my addict's brain says, I want some more of that. And I end up ODing on that. And anything I OD on, not good for me, not good for me. So by the grace of God, I don't use any. And I never thought I could say that in this lifetime. 
but here I just did. Did that answer your question, hon? Yes, thank you. And have you, as a sponsor, have you um, dealt with other people with that also? Oh, well, many of my sponsees, uh, some of them use, um, you know, artificial sweeteners or natural sweet natural sweeteners, basically, yeah. And I have no problem, you know, that's their, that's their food plan. But I'm glad you asked, and I wish I would have said this on the recording, uh, and I just... After 27 years of sponsoring, it just came about in the last year and a half or two. I will not sponsor anyone who uses alcohol on their food plan of any kind, any alcohol. I can't do that for my sanity's sake because it's a mood-altering chemical. It's not good for me. And if I tell my sponsee it's good for them, then I'm telling Rosemary it's good for me. And I know it is not. And I have never, this is important, I wish I would have said this on, thank you for asking this question, I've never seen a long-time abstinent person who drinks alcohol. I've seen people who say, oh, I've been 20 years in the, 30 years in the program. Yeah, well, how long are you absent? Well, now I've been having a few slips, but they use alcohol, and then they slip, and they come back and forth. I've never seen a long-timer who uses alcohol. To me, that speaks volumes. I don't know about you, but it speaks. So I don't sponsor someone. But as far as artificial sweeteners, if that's what they want to use or natural sweeteners, uh, that's not that's not my problem. And if they're staying abstinent, now if they lose their abstinence, then we would look at that as a possible reason. But if they don't, you know, and it's my it's my experience that the people who drank alcohol, they did lose their abstinence. So that's why I don't. Yeah. Did I? Is that? Yes. Thank you so much. You covered that very, very thoroughly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie, for the question. And uh, yes, this question and answer period is being recorded as well, Rosemary. So. Oh, good. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Yes. Any other questions for Rosemary this morning? Hi, this is Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. I composed myself now. <laughs> have my emotions in check, so now I can ask the question. My question is, um, when you realized that it was your spiritual program that was a myth, what, at, at what point in your program, had you already been working the steps when you realized that, or were you still not working the steps at that point? Oh, no, no. I was working. I had started them. It's a long time, Carolyn, but as I recall, um, like I said, when I read We Agnostics, I read up to there. Of course, I've read the whole book, but when I read We Agnostics, I thought I was going to skip that chapter because I thought, I'm not an agnostic. I don't need to read it. My sponsor said, I think you better read it. I said, now this is Miss Know-It-All. Well, okay, I'll read it in case somebody needs help with it, but it's not me. Well, it was me because, like I said, I had quantity of prayer life, but I didn't have quality. I don't believe I had quality. And when did I get this? After starting working with the sponsor. Before the sponsor, what I did, Carolyn, I sat in a meeting every week, and I went home, 
And I told everybody, I'm working the OA program, which, of course, I wasn't. I just went to one meeting a week, and I did nothing with steps. I had no sponsor. I never picked up a phone, but I wasn't eating compulsively. See, so I was technically, I was abstaining, but that was not going to last. I could see that. If I wouldn't get, have gotten the sponsor, that would never have lasted. So back to your question, I was the, the only step. Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question, Carolyn. The only step I have to work perfectly is the first one. I have to stop the abuse of the drug. For me, it's food. I had to stop the drug abuse, the food abuse. Then the rest of the steps are really, remember, I love this. I wrote it down. We never rise above being human. The human part of me will always interfere with working a perfect program, like with relationships, with the defects, with all that. But the first step has to be put down the food. It's clearly in the big book. The people in the hospitals had to be dried out. Their brain had to be clear before they could give them the principles, which were the steps. I had to stop eating first, which I did. Then I saw eventually, oh, I better get a sponsor. Then I worked the steps, and then my life changed. So first I had to be abstinent, and then in working the steps. And it was pretty early on in working the steps. I would say probably, I think the big book says, like after the fifth step, we'll notice a change. I think it was. After I gave away my fifth step, I felt like the world was taken off my shoulders, and many people say the same thing. I think that was when many things changed much, and then making the amends. Those action steps, four through nine, they're the change, they're really change steps, and I had to really change my thinking, my attitude from negative to positive, um, and it, but it all started with giving up the food, just stopping the food abuse, just eating a healthy, normal amount of meals every day. I had to have that first. And then slowly and working with the sponsor, I got the rest of it. Did that answer it, Carolyn? Thank you so much. And just to add a little bit more to that, how important do you feel it is to have a sponsor who has a spiritual program as opposed to just being abstinent? Oh, uh, you know what? Here's my thought. This is a thought. If they don't have a spiritual program, I don't even know how they can be abstinent because abstinence is the thing I do most spiritual every day as I abstain. So if they don't have a spiritual program and they're abstaining, I just question whether how long that's going to last, the abstinence, without a spiritual program. Because then you see they're doing it with their own will. They're, they're doing it without a higher power because... With a higher power, that's where the spirituality comes in. So some kind of higher power is necessary. And if they don't have a spiritual program, I, I question their real abstinence, and I question how long it will last. That that's And my experience is it doesn't last. It doesn't last. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking one-on-one with you. Uh, yeah, if you uh, if you would leave your number with Leah, because uh, then I would call you. Okay. 
Later. Carolyn, thank you. Later. Anyone else for Rosemarie this morning? Hello, I'm Claudia. Hey, Claudia. <laughs> thank you so much for your talk. And my question is, how do you let go of your will? I know all the stuff about God's will and the praying and all of that, but somewhere inside of me I have not let go of my willfulness. So I need to know, what do I do to let go of it? Thank you for that question, Claudia. Okay, your willfulness, would you say that's a defect of character, your willfulness? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, What the big book tells me is, I need to ask God to remove my defects of character because only he can. I can't remove my own defects because self-will never can overcome self-will. So I have to have a power greater than mine, and that's higher power. And I have to pray to ask God for that willingness to let go of my defects. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Okay, yeah, it it did. I mean, um, it did. It really did. And uh, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Claudia. All right. Thank you, Claudia. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Zakia. Zakia, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. I was smiling. Thank you, Rosemary, for your share. I was smiling the last answer you gave, and I heard the hesitation in me. You know, it was so short. You know, I, in other words, it's got to be more than that. You know, to, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's got to be more. You mean just... First of all, I'm just going to say it. Just get on my knees and ask God to remove this self-will. Um, this, um, my name is Zakia from Long Island, New York, and I was raised up in an alcoholic home, and I was um, I was uh, mentally and spiritually abused, and you know from from the alcoholic, and and I went to food so young for comfort, and and control. And self-will, um, it's like I would say it's been the thread that has permeated my life because I was there was so there I was so out of con there was no control in my home there was no discipline in my home so I had to step up to the plate and and take care of myself and try to take care of other people too so the control. And the self-will, uh, and of course, I didn't mean for the self-will to get out of hand, um, but it did because, I mean, I, I had to do certain things just to mentally survive. So um, it's so hard. Um, thank God I've gotten some help with that now, but it, I I felt that last question, you know, because... That's my problem. In fact, that's why I'm here, because 
um, of the self will. I mean, if if I had it, I wouldn't be here. You know, I mean, I mean, what I'm saying is, if I had it under control, but I, yeah, it's because of the self will. Um, sabotaging my abstinence right now. Thank you, God. I'm abstinent from my foods, but um, my self-will and my control, trying to co- control other people, people, places, and things, it sabotages the things that I try to do. And and number one would be my abstinence. So um, um, when when you said you know. I can't, you know, I can't, you know, in other words, I have to turn over to my higher power. I have to ask God because I don't have the power to take away my self-will. Um, I have to, and I could just feel myself, you know, even when you said it, to just get on my knees and ask God. Perfect. It sounds like you really heard an answer there, Zakia. <laughs> yeah, I did. You really heard an answer, and I loved Bill said, on our knees, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Mm. On our knees. Yes. Thank you, Zakia. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you, Zakia. Anyone else? Hi, this is Diane from New Hampshire. Hi, Diane. Hi. Oh, my gosh, it was so wonderful to hear you. I I just I'm going to listen to it over and over again. Thank you so very much. Um but I do have a question. Um I um was in OA in the 80s also. Um back then um without going into specifics, um uh, everyone ate the same and if you didn't eat like your sponsor, then you know she couldn't sponsor you. I was just wondering, you did use the uh, the terminology trigger foods. I'd never heard about that until I just came back this previous year, um, which changed my life. And you used that. And I was just wondering where you lived, if you're, if it was, if that's how you were introduced, um, it, you know, about your food program to go to a, a nutritionist um, and, and to give up your trigger foods. Um, we all know what they are. And um, I definitely have given up mine. But I was just curious if you started off in another form of uh, eating before you you, uh, did that. Thank you, Diane. Um, Trigger foods, I I always, I love uh, visuals or acronyms. Trigger, I think the reason they're called trigger foods is they're like, um, if I eat them, it's like if I held a gun to my head and pulled the trigger. That's right. Yeah, so that's what a trigger food for me is. Um, yeah, I didn't, um, tell me again what you're, oh, I know, no, I know what you're talking about, and that plan was around when I came in, but I had showed it to a nutritionist, and she said, well, she saw, there were a few plans, and she looked, and we decided, my sponsor and I, what the best plan was for me, and it was just three meals, nothing between, and no binge foods. But you see, today, World Service has a definition of abstinence, and it's not a specific food plan. And this is really important, important, Diane. Yes. Abstinence is eating toward or eating to maintain a healthy weight so that we don't go back to the unhealthy behaviors and so on. So eating toward, so every day I eat toward a healthy weight or I eat to maintain. 
I've been in maintenance for like 26 years or 25 or 6 years. So I eat to maintain my weight. Someone who wants to lose their gain has to eat toward the the weight that's healthy for them, okay? Um, there is no food plan. No one in OA tells us a food plan. World Service has put out the definition, and many people confuse a food plan with abstinence. I've heard people say, oh, if I eat snacks in between, I'm not abstinent. That's not true. Not yeah. at all. Many of us have medical problems. If we have diabetes or hypoglycemia or if we're anemic, whatever it is, if there's medical problems and there's a need, and especially the doctor says eat a snack, healthy snack between lunch and dinner or breakfast or have a night snack, that's all appropriate. That's not breaking abstinence. But I've heard some long timers say, oh, I don't feel I'm abstinent if I have more than three meals a day. That's, that's a fallacy. Right. Yeah, because World Service has said what abstinence is, eating toward a healthy weight or eating to maintain a healthy weight. Simple, cut, dried. Does that answer your question? It, yes, it sort of does. Yes, it does, and I understand. I just didn't know if, you know, because when I came in um, in the 80s, it was, you know, th- that exact thing. No eating between meals. No, no, no. Um, that's gone, that's gone oh, Diane. Have you yeah. got a sponsor? Oh, it Do, you have a sponsor? Right. Do you have a sponsor? I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you have a sponsor? Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I have a wonderful sponsor. Um, no, but I was just curious as to, because you used the terminology trigger foods, if that's how, because uh, I was not introduced into OA in that way at all, and I was just curious as to you, if you changed it along the way or if that's how you started. And it sounds like that's, you went to a nutritionist the right way, and that's how you started. So that's why I was curious. And that's suggested by World Service. That's not just yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, well. All right, well, Good thank luck. you very much. Thank you. Any Hi, other Rosemary. questions? Hi, Rosemary. Hi, Rosemary. My name is Lori, and um, I just I really appreciate your qualification. Um, I'm taking a lot of notes down on what you said because you said a lot of wonderful things that can help me. Um, I'm just recently asked, and I have about 150 days almost. Congratulations. And, um, Wonderful. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You and your higher power are doing a good job. Thank you. I agree. He's 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 doing it. <laughs> I'm telling you. Um but Amen. my question was I'm like you. I came into program actually fifty four, fifty five. You know, I was, you know, just turning fifty five and um so I came in older and I see how God like in program, like he really, I went to a meeting, I got abstinent right away. I wasn't even looking for it. I find it, I kind of felt hopeless and there was no hope for me, but someone took me to a meeting. I went, I got abstinent and, and it's like God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. It's not like it is. That's what he did. It's amazing. And I'm grateful every day, every minute of the day. But I still find myself questioning God and saying, why? Like, why didn't you do this for me 20 years ago or 25 years ago? Like, why at such a late age? I just feel like because of this disease, I've lost so much of my life, and it still grieves me. Um, So I just want to come to peace and just, like, I am grateful it's better late than never, but I don't know how to come to terms with that. 
Okay, thank you, Lori. And um, I heard you say you are grateful that you got it. Remember, uh, some people never get it. They live and die and never, ever get a good life because they live in denial. Uh, I've never once, I don't remember thinking, why didn't I get this before I was old? You know, why didn't I get it when I was 21? You know, and I never thought that for some reason. I was just so happy and grateful to have it at all that I would even get it at that late stage. But I never thought to think, oh, I wish it would have been earlier. I think you've said the word gratitude, and I think that's really the answer. Maybe you could talk to your sponsor about this, and maybe she's already asked you to make a gratitude list. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's something I do with my sponsees. But that to on our knees, be thanking him. And if I keep busy helping others, like sponsoring others, guess what, Lori? I don't have time to regret the past. And the big book says don't regret the past or shut the door on it. Learn from it and go on. We need to stay. It sounds like you're having trouble staying in today. If you stay in today, you will not think about the past. You won't think about tomorrow. You will only focus on today. And you know there's that little card, maybe you have it for today, just for today. Have you got that little card? No, no, I don't. If World Service puts it out, it says, just for today, I'll do this and I'll be that. It's only just for today. And if we go back to the past, we will suffer remorse, we'll suffer uh, frustrate, anger, and if we go to the future, we'll suffer fear. And if we stay in today, we may not suffer anything if we stay Thank in you. today, just to stay in the moment and not look back and not look forward because this is a day-at-a-time a program. Yeah, maybe you want to look for that little Just for Today card on your okay, literature table. Okay? okay, thank you so, so much. You're welcome, Lori. Bless you. Okay. Thank, thank you. Hi, it's Marietta from Virginia. One moment, please. Uh, Rosemarie, are you up to more questions? Oh, sure. Yeah, I okay. got my tea, my tea right here, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, go right ahead, Marietta. Okay, it really isn't a question. I just want to say hello to Rosemarie. I actually met you in Indianapolis a couple of years ago, and it's just a delight to hear you on the phone, and I, you know, uh, it's just a delight. It's a delight to hear recovery in action and service in action, and with that, I just bless you and have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you, Marietta. Bless you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Any other questions this morning? Star one to unmute. Going once, twice. Three times. I guess everyone's mind is at peace. 
Rosemarie, again, we thank you so much. Truly a blessing this morning hearing your experience, strength, and hope. You and your higher power did an absolutely beautiful job carrying a message of hope and salvation, and we thank you. I'm going to close the meeting this morning the way that A Vision for You always closes its meetings, and that's with a reading from page 164 in our big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.